If you have a Bible with you today, can I ask that you turn to the book of Galatians chapter 4? We're going to be looking at a short passage out of Galatians chapter 4. When, uh, when Cade was about four years old, I took him to the Museum of Science and in- Industry for the very first time. And some of you have heard me tell part of the story um, was when we arrived at the Museum of Science and Industry, he'd never been there before, and we, we come downstairs into this kind of massive lobby for those who've been there, and he saw on the one side these 20-foot-high dinosaur posters, and, and he was absolutely fixated, rushed across and stood there for a couple minutes just gazing at these massive, massive dinosaur pictures. And then he turned around and he saw the, the silver train. You guys know the silver train at the other end of the lobby. And, and so he ran across there and, and spent 15 minutes exploring the, the train over there and was mesmerized. And, and then he saw the gift shop and heaven had come to earth. And, and he sprinted over there. And literally, I kid you not, for 45 minutes, he just explored every toy and every aisle. And that was the best for him. Uh, I say the best for him because all I spent that time doing was saying no, as in no, we can't buy this, and we can't buy that, Cade, and no, we can't buy that either. He wanted to buy absolutely everything. But when he had finished exploring the gift shop, he thought that was it. He thought that was the museum. He thought that the, the dinosaur posters and the silver train and the gift shop was the entirety of the Museum of Science and Industry. And he didn't know that there was this massive museum full of exhibits and halls and, and, and little kind of interactive displays to, to explore. And, and, and so I excitedly told him that we've got more to see. And, and we proceeded up the escalators, as you, as you guys know, up the first set of escalators into the lower level, and then up the second set of escalators into this massive great hall. Uh, I mean, probably, I don't know, 40 foot high, 50 foot high ceilings and, and all of the different halls that kind of go off this great hall. And, and Cade literally stood there like a kid in, in heaven. I mean, his eyes were as the size of saucers, his mouth had dropped open and he didn't know where to start. He, he was desperate to do and to see as much as he could as quickly as possible. And, and the thing he didn't realize is that he didn't need to rush. Because I'd set aside the whole day to, to be with him. But he was determined to get to everything and to see everything as fast as he could. Especially anything that had a joystick to maneuver or an on and off button to, to kind of turn on and off. He wasn't interested in reading or letting me read. The, the, you know, I, I like that. I like to read what the exhibit is about. But he just wanted to push buttons and, and juggle uh, whatever you do with joysticks. Maneuver joysticks and, and touch screens and just experience the whole thing. But, but as I say, he didn't know that he, needed, he didn't need to rush because I had set aside the whole day to, to be with him. But for him, as a four-year-old, doing things was way more important than spending time with his dad. And that's fine. I mean, he was four, so I couldn't expect anything different. I was reminded of the story uh, last Saturday when um, I was planning to take Ken Grenfell out for, for dinner. Most of you know that we had our friends, Ken and Michelle Grenfell, visiting the church and ministering over 10 days and spending time with us. And, and Debs and I had planned to take them out on Saturday night, but Debs and Michelle both fell ill. So I decided to take Ken out for dinner. And Caden got wind of the fact that I was doing this. And he comes through to the bedroom and he says, Dad, can I come with? Can I please come with to dinner with you and Ken? And uh, don't judge me for what I'm about to say, because I make mistakes as a parent too. I'm not perfect in any way, shape, or form. So I looked at Caden and I said, no, buddy. You, you, you can't come. This is an opportunity for Ken and I to spend some time together. And if that wasn't bad enough, I went on to say this. I said, 
And Caden, I'm sure the only reason why you want to come out is to go and enjoy a meal out at a restaurant. And I saw his face just drop. And I realized in that moment that I'd absolutely blown it. And I'd missed an opportunity with my, with my boy. And, and what, I, what I'd forgotten was in the busyness of those 10 days of Ken and Michelle being here and, and, and all the meetings that we had, which were great. And during that time, I had gone to Denver for five days and, uh, on a trip. And, and I literally came back and went straight into the Life and Spirit weekend. I hadn't seen Caden at all. And I didn't realize I'd forgotten that the fact that Caden was just longing to spend time with his dad. That's all he wanted. He just wanted to spend time with me. And I had squashed that opportunity for, for him to do that. So I quickly realized that, that he wasn't that four-year-old kid anymore who was more interested in doing things. He had now grown up, and he was more interested in doing things with his dad. You know, going out for a meal was fun. He admitted that. He did want to go out and enjoy a good meal, but he wanted to do it with his dad. And that was something that I had, had, had missed, missed out on. So Ken and I and, and Caden went off to dinner. And as you can imagine, the age d- difference, everyone thought that Ken was my dad and I was the, he was the grandpa and I was the dad and Ken was the grandson. So it was kind of funny to, to see all that kind of play itself out. My job today, um, as I open the word, is to, is to try and summarize what God did and what God was saying to church in the city through Ken and Michelle's ministry. So just think of this. They, they preach 12 times over 10 days, and I've got 35 minutes to try and summarize that. So uh, pray for me and um, just, uh, just know that, that, that I can't touch everything. But I, there are one or two things that I feel like God has put on my heart just to, just to emphasize and to remind us of. Ken and Michelle left us an incredible treasure chest of truths. And things for us to, to unpack and to go back over and to explore deeper, both individually and also for us as a church. And we're definitely going to do that. And that's something of what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like that treasure chest. And in fact, it's way bigger than that. It's, it's like that museum that was to Cade when he was four years old. This, this vast, massive un, uh, uh, place of uncharted things uh, uh, to explore and to discover. And, and, and that's what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us, like Caden did, to, to stay in the lobby. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that when we get saved, when we receive Jesus, as phenomenal a truth as that is, we think that's it. We think that's the be all and end all. And it is a phenomenal thing. But can I say, friends, it's only the beginning. It's only the entrance way into this life of discovering what eternal life means here on earth. And discovering what it means to see the reign and the rule of Jesus manifest himself in and through our lives. And, and I want to say, friends, the, the kingdom of God is something to be explored. But, but I want to encourage you, we, 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 we mustn't be frantic or rushed about exploring these things. God the Father has set aside time to do this with us. He set aside the rest of our lives to be with us as we explore the incredible truths about his kingdom. And that's something of what I want to uh, speak about today. I want to speak about enjoying the fullness of sonship. And when I speak about sonship, just to all the ladies out there, I'm not speaking about sonship in a gender-specific sense. It just saves me saying, enjoying the fullness of sonship and daughterhood. So if you'd allow me just to summarize that phrase to, to sonship, that's what God wants from us, is more than the things we do, and we get to do exciting things, He wants us to enjoy the privilege of what it means to be sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. 
And so with that in mind, let's have a look at the text that we want to kind of unpack together this morning out of Galatians chapter 4, and uh, let's read together from verse 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it starts off like this, when the set time had fully come. I love that phrase, when the set time had fully come, when, when that moment had reached its, its destiny in God, when that moment had reached its destiny as set forth by the Father. That phrase, when the set time had fully come, gives me incredible confidence to know that God is in control. We surrender and submit and serve and worship a sovereign and almighty king. Psalm 103 says, God has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom extends over everything. Ephesians 1 tells us that that Jesus has been set in as head over everything for the church, for us. Jesus is head over everything for us. So when the set time had come, it says there, God sent his son. God didn't send an angel. God sent his one and only son. It it speaks to me of God's absolute and total commitment to rescue his people back to himself. God is committed. We are the central focus of heaven's attention. That's how significant the human race is. Every single human being on this planet, God sent his son in order for them to be rescued back to the Father. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those under the law. Just quickly to say that word redeem, it's a business term. It's a marketplace term. It was used when, typically when the price had been paid for a slave to free that slave. Either a wealthy business person uh, wanted to free his slave and he paid the market price, or somehow the slave may have earned enough money to, to pay that price off himself. And that's what that word redeemed mean. He, uh, it meant. It, he, he paid the price and he was redeemed from slavery. He was rescued out of slavery. And it says here in verse 5 that Jesus, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, to set them free, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons. Notice the, the, the present tense of that. You, you are his sons. We're not becoming his sons and daughters. We are his sons and daughters. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Paul is, is writing about this incredible truth that Hebrews uh, 2 calls this great salvation. And it's a truth that, that God wants us to establish us in, as, as Ken put it last week. God wants us to, to, to know that he sent his son Jesus and he sent the spirit of his son. He sent the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and to liberate us, free us from slavery, free us from bondage, so that we can enjoy the incredible riches and privilege of being children of God. And that's what we're going to have a look at today. The Bible teaches that at one time, before we knew Jesus, we were, we were kidnapped and held captive by sin, by guilt and by shame. And we were held captive by a, a, a sense of responsibility to, or a sense of a need to try and prove ourselves to God. 
a lifestyle of rule-keeping. Friends, rule-keeping is simply our futile attempt to get ourselves out of the pickle that we were in. And following a life of rule-keeping did nothing except get us even worse into the dwang, as it were, if that's an appropriate phrase to use. Dwang, uh, sorry, that's probably not a good phrase to use. Get us into the, in the mire, in the rubbish, in the dirt. We, were, we are stranded. We are, we've got nowhere, nowhere to turn. Sorry, I shouldn't have used that phrase. Don't know what came over me. <laughs> Friends, a lifestyle of rule keeping, a lifestyle of trying to please God never works for this simple reason. Because we quickly realize that doing enough is never, or is never actually enough. How much is enough? How much is enough in a way to please God? We, 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 we never find it. And so, so the Bible teaches that we were held captive and we were, we, were, we, 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 you know, we were kidnapped by sin and guilt and shame. But through the death of Jesus and through his resurrection from the cross, he, he has redeemed us. He set us free from that lifestyle of sin and guilt and shame. He set us free from that lifestyle of rule keeping. Why? So that God the Father can adopt us as his sons and to ensure that we don't just know that theologically, but we get to experience it, God sent the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, to come into our hearts so that we can experience the richness of what it means to be sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. And so that's simply what we're going to look at this morning. Jesus redeemed us. God the Father adopts us. The Holy Spirit fills us so that we can experience the fullness of what it means to be sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. Verse 5 tells us that. Jesus has redeemed us. You'll, you'll, you'll see it in verse 5. This, this letter, Galatians, is, is Paul's angriest letter. He is, he is angry because he hates religion almost as much as, as Jesus does. He, he, he's, he's concerned that the Galatians have, have come back under the yoke of religion and rule-keeping. He says in chapter 3, you, you foolish Galatians, which in modern-day vernacular simply means, you idiots, what on earth are you doing? In chapter 5, he says it was for freedom's sake that Christ came to set us free. He goes on to, to ask them the question, you, you know, if, you've, if you understood grace and mercy and the goodness of God and came into relationship with the Father because you received Jesus by grace through faith, why on earth do you think you need to graduate from that into a lifestyle of performance in, in, in order to mature and grow in God? And friends, let me tell you, I know this from personal experience. I remember in the early days of, of, of planting this church with Debs, we were desperately reliant on the wisdom and presence and, of God and the insight that would come from the Father. Absolutely, desperately reliant on, on, on Him. And I distinctly remember a time about two or two and a half years into the church plant when the church had grown to about 60 or 70 people. And I, I remember, I didn't say these words, but in essence, what I said to the Father was, thank you, Lord, for bringing us thus far, but I'm going to take it from here. And God, in his incredible patience, incredible patience, began to dismantle that truth and bring us back to that place of being at the feet of Jesus. 
Friends, we never mature from the place of receiving Jesus by grace through faith and receiving the goodness of God. We never graduate to the point where we have to start uh, doing things in order to please God or to grow in maturity. Yes, we do things in response to the prompting of the Lord, but never out of a motivation to try and win God's favor. It's never God's heart. What had happened in, in, in this particular situation was Paul had preached the gospel and, and people had been radically set free and, 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 and signs and wonders were moving. The life of God was all over this church. And then Paul had to move on. And, and in, Paul's, in Paul's place came these legalistic Jews who, who, who came into the church and essentially said to the new believers, these Gentile believers, praise God that you have got saved. Our prophets spoke about the fact that the Gentiles would come in. But you know, we are Jewish and and we know really what God likes. We know really how to please God. Yes, you need to get circumcised and you can't eat bacon and and, and you have to rest on a Sunday. And and, and suddenly, these Galatians, these Gentiles who, who, who understood the goodness of God quickly reduced their relationship with Jesus to any other religion of rule keeping. And friends, can I say that the temptation for us to do the same is no less prevalent. You know, people can sit down with us and say, you know, it's, it's really good to do, to do this or to do that in order to grow in God. Or it's really good to do this or to do that to, to kind of access God's presence or, or, or kind of come under more of his anointing. And, and as well-meaning as that is, friends, if we're not careful, very quickly we can start to look for methods and formula in order to try and kind of check the boxes in the hope of growing and moving on in God. And it's especially dangerous when it comes from a leader. I say this on behalf of anyone who preaches from this pulpit and from anyone who serves on this leadership team. It is not our job to show you methods and formula. It is our job to teach you how to hear from the Father yourself so that you can find wisdom and revelation as to how he wants you to work out the truth of his word. And that's what I loved about Ken's ministry over the last 10 days. He spoke about the incredible anointing that God wants to give us. The incredible things that God, that he wants, that God wants us to walk into and experience. But Ken fought hard for saying, don't do it my way. Find God's heart for you and for your journey. Each one of us stand in different places with different passions and with different desires. And there is an anointing, there is an equipping, there is an enabling that God wants to give us. But friends, don't look to formulas to find out how to grow in that. Press into your Father. That's what this, I hope this sermon is going to be about. Self-righteousness, friends. Doing things to please God actually obstructs the work of the Spirit. Jesus said, I did not come for the righteous. Which means, I did not come for those who already think they are righteous. We get in the way of Jesus being able to work in our lives when we, when we bring before him all of our accolades and performance and, and achievements. We need to come every day. We never grow, grow tired of us. Every day, Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus, we've died to a lifestyle of rule keeping and the need to prove something to God. And, and can I say, friends, those who know me know that I am an expert at that. And God set us free. That's what the, that's what, that was the truth to me over, over Ken's ministry. God has set us free to be sons and daughters of him. 
I want you to look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, a, a couple chapters over uh, before the, the text that we're in, because this text just so beautifully describes the fact that we have died to rule keeping. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Listen to what Paul writes. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Chris Q actually said to me today, where was, where's Chris Q? He prophesied that over me. He says, Steve, you're dead. You're dead. I'm like, praise God, I am dead. Because he has the second part. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying, he's saying I'm dead, but I'm also alive. What's going on here? Let's just quickly try and unpack this truth a little bit just to help us understand that we've come into freedom from a lifestyle of having to earn God's favor. Firstly, the first thing Paul says there, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Essentially, he's saying the old you is dead. Before you and I knew Jesus, we were, we were blind to the glory of Jesus and we were, we were hardened to the, to, to the love of the Father. And we were deaf to the, to the voice of the Spirit. And we were, we were consumed by self and consumed by, by, just a, by, by, by ourselves, just focused so inward. And friends, we were, we, were, we were walking absent from the presence of God, which, let me tell you, is no life to live at all. We were essentially the, the walking dead. I don't watch that show, but I heard Dave Swart, a friend of mine who leads a church. I don't know how a church leader, I don't know how a Christian can watch the walking dead. How is that possible? A show about zombies. Well, anyway, that zombie, the walking dead, you are crucified in Christ. Amen. Amen. Crucified in Christ. The old is dead. The moment, the moment you and I said yes to Jesus. The moment you and I said, said yes and received Jesus into our hearts, that old person is dead. And Paul goes on to say that there is now a new you that, that is alive because you've been raised to life in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. Romans 6 verse 5 says the same thing. We have been united with Christ in his death and united with Christ in his resurrection. That word united, it doesn't kind of convey how strong in the original language that word actually means. It means to be inseparably fused. When you receive Jesus into your heart, you are inseparably fused to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Uh, Hugh told me he had a flat tire yesterday, and, and typically if you have a flat tire, you, you drive your car into the shop, and you remove the tire, and you leave it with the shop while you go on, driving your spare, obviously, and you, you, you drive off, and you come back later to get your spare. But if you break your finger, you can't do that. You can't go to the doctor and kind of screw your finger off and leave your finger behind and tell them you'll pick it up in a couple days, because your finger has, is inseparably fused to the body. And that's what Paul is getting at when he speaks about us being in Christ. Inseparably fused. What happens to Jesus happened, what happened to Jesus happened to you. Why? Because you are in Christ. It happened to you in Christ. You've been inserted into Jesus' story. And so when the Bible says that Jesus died, it means and crucified, it means in him you've died and been crucified. When Jesus' body was quickened by the Holy Spirit, in him you've been quickened by the Holy Spirit. When you've been raised from the dead, guess what? In him you've been raised from the dead. 
When he is now seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ, you've been, you are now seated at the right hand of the Father. It happens to us because we are in him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Me in Christ and Christ in me. Colossians 1, I think it's 27, it says that. What an incredible truth. But then the best truth of them all is the second part of of Galatians 2 verse 20. It says, the life I now live in the body. And if you get one truth today, please get this one. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Can I say, that's 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 not a good translation. Because read it again, if you read it again. The life I now live, I live in the The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. That sounds like faith in Jesus is my contribution to the equation. But if your faith is anything like my faith, my faith is a roller coaster. There are times when it's strong and there are times when it's weak. And what kind of a life is that to live if my life is based on my faith in Jesus Christ. The original Greek, the better translation, says this, the life I now live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live by the faith of the Son of God. It is the faith of Jesus that enables me to stand. My faith in Jesus is inconsistent and up and down, but Jesus' faith is constant and perfect and pure and never-ending, and it's that faith that I'm called to live by. That's what gives me assurance of my salvation. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, I think it says that, the righteous shall live by his faithfulness. That's what enables me to know that every day, no matter whether I've messed up or not, whether I feel saved or not, I am saved. Why? Because I live on the faith of Jesus Christ. That's what enables me to pray for Isaac Massa. When my faith sometimes struggles, and I find it hard sometimes to sense hope, I can go before the Father and say, Father, thank you that I don't come before you in my name and my inconsistent faith. I don't come before you on the basis of my up and down trust, but I come before you in Jesus' name and his perfect and pure faith. In Jesus' name, Father, would you heal Isaac. That's the confidence that we have, friends. The old me is dead, I am alive, and I'm living on the faith of Jesus Christ. Free from having to perform to God free from having to earn his favor. This is never something that we graduate from. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 says, just as you have received Jesus Christ, now continue to live in him. How have we received Jesus Christ? By faith, by faith, by the faith of Jesus. In the same way, continue to live in him. Don't go back to the lifestyle of performing before God. Don't go back to a lifestyle of trying to earn God's favor, of following rules and rituals, looking for methods and formula, listening to preachers tell you how to access God's presence. Listen to the truth. Find the unique way to outwork it in your life as you listen to the Father in heaven. Jesus has redeemed us. Why? Second point, and we're not going to take as long on these last two. Jesus has redeemed us. Why? So that God the Father can accept us. Look at verse 5. Back to Galatians 4, verse 5. 
He says there, that we might receive adoption to sonship. That phrase, adoption to sonship, is a single word in the original Greek. It's a legal term that speaks of an adult son coming of age so that he can be a full heir to everything that his father owned. That's what that word in the original Greek means. And Paul is right. This is a, this is a massive truth, a, a truth that Galatians 3 and 4 goes into great detail of, and we don't have the time to do that. But I, I want to just bring a couple of highlights about, about this truth of, 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 of adoption. Understand, we must understand the context into which Paul is writing, into the, into the Roman culture. And in the Roman culture, adoption was specifically two things. It was immediate. The moment adoption took place, that child had the full rights of a son. It was immediate and it was irrevocable. In other words, it was absolutely legally binding. It could not be changed. Isn't that an incredible truth for you and I? It's immediate. We are immediately sons of God the moment we say yes to Jesus. And it cannot be undone. It changes our name. It changes our status. It changes our authority. It changes our inheritance. It's just like Joseph, who was a prisoner one second, and the king declared that Joseph be freed, and a, second later, and, and a moment later, he was a prince. That's what happens at salvation. We, we, we immediately stand in Christ at the Father's right hand, having access to everything that Jesus does, the full rights of a son. But what's most important to an, to an adopted son is not the things that he gets, but it's the closeness to the Father. And friends, that's true for us. What adoption means more than anything else is the fact that we have total and complete access into the presence of the Father. God the Father has always wanted you and me from before the beginning of time. He's always wanted us. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, he says, he says this, he, uh, Paul writes, he says, God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. Think about the most beautiful thing that God created on this planet that you think is the most beautiful. Maybe, maybe Mount Everest or, or, or the French Alps or, or maybe a sunset coming up, a, a sunset over, a, over a, a, a lonely beach in Hawaii or, or something as dramatic as that. God's word says that before he created all of that beauty, he chose you and me to be adopted as his children. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. He took great delight in planning this and putting this all together to, to bring us into relationship with him. Don't go back to a lifestyle of do's and, don't, do's and don'ts and rights and wrong. Don't go back to trying to earn his favor because Jesus has redeemed us and, and the Father has adopted us. And, and because Jesus has redeemed us and the Father has adopted us, Paul goes on to say lastly that he has filled us. The Spirit of his Son has filled us so that we can experience and walk into the fullness of what it means to be sons. Look at verse 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. 
That's the phrase that Jesus used. That's the term. That's the, that's the, that's the, uh, the intimate term that Jesus used in, in Mark 14, I think it was, in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out to his father to ask him to take, his, take, take the cup away. He said, Abba, Father. That level of intimacy is the, is the level of intimacy that, that by the Spirit of God we have access to. The great, the great promise, the great gift of the outpouring of the Spirit. Friends, I believe as much as it is that we get to walk in His power and we get to experience and begin to minister under the power of God, I think the great truth of the infilling or the baptism or the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that we have an assurance of sonship. Matthew chapter 3 tells us that Jesus, as he came up out of the water, uh, after being water baptized, the Spirit of God descended upon him, and the voice of the Father declares over him, this is my Son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. When I, am, when I, when I have the Spirit in me, I am assured, I am a confident of God's eternal, everlasting love for me, that I am his Son. Being redeemed from the law doesn't mean that we get to choose how we live. We can live however we want. Being redeemed from the law and being filled with the Spirit means that, that our, desire, our desires, our desires are, are formed and shaped by what, what God wants. And that's the beautiful picture of what we see with Jesus. This incredible relationship between Jesus and the Father. Jesus completely and totally loving the Father and doing only what he saw and heard the father tell him to do, and the father totally and completely and absolutely loving his son. And by the Spirit of God, friends, we are, 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 are born into this. We are fused. We are united. We are inseparably fused into this relationship. That's why Jesus says in John 15, Abide in my love. I am the vine. You are the branches. We have been grafted into the vine. Jesus' very being is rooted in this perfect love relationship. And by virtue of us being grafted into Jesus, we draw and are part of and receive this, the fullness of that love that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father. We get to be part of that. I love, so love the story of John 11. I find it so powerful and so challenging, the story of when Lazarus dies. And, and it starts off, it says, it says this in the, in, in, in the first few verses of John 11, that, that someone came to Jesus and told him that Lazarus was sick. It didn't say that Lazarus had died. It said that Lazarus was sick. And so many, I thought to myself when I read that this week, you know what I would have done? I would have, if I had got that call, I would have closed my Bible in a moment and I would have got in my car and rushed off to where that sick person was. But you know what Jesus did? He waited. He waited on the Father. For two days, he waited. He pressed into the Father. He was asking the Father, what is, what is it that you want me to do? What is your will? What is your desire? How do you want me to, to respond? How do you want, what, what are the specifics that you want me to do? And remarkably, during that time, Lazarus dies. And, and Jesus, and so after two days, Jesus goes to, to where he's been buried. And, and, and he has those encounters with Mary and Martha. And he comforts them. And then he goes before, Lazarus, he goes before his tomb. And he says these words. He says, Father, I thank you that you hear me. That's the kind of relationship that I want to have with my father. 
that I, that I know that my Father is hearing me. But actually, Jesus could have also said, I thank you that you hear me, but that you, that you but, I, but I thank you that you hear me, but that I also hear you. Because the very next words, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. He was declaring the known will of the Father in that situation. Friends, that's the kind of relationship we have through the Holy Spirit filling us with his presence. We get to remain in his love. Jesus has redeemed us. God the Father has adopted us. The Holy Spirit has filled us so that we can experience the fullness of being God's child. And then we're going to end with this. Look at verse 7. What is the result of all of this? Look at verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. And since you are God's child, God has also made you an heir. You see, adoption is about closeness with the Father. Adoption is about nearness to Him, that we have access into His presence. But adoption is also about inheritance. God has an incredible inheritance for us. It's an inheritance that is as vast as the Museum of Science and Industry was to Caden. That's how vast this inheritance is for us. And guess what? We get the rest of our lives to spend time with our Heavenly Father, exploring it together with Him. Not frantic, not rushing here, there, and everywhere, not needing to do things quickly. We want more. We want more of God. We want more of what He has for us. We want to experience the fullness of His inheritance. But friends, being frantic about it is not going to help. We get to press in with God. We get to find His heart. We get to respond to His pace and His dealings. The greatest lesson we can ever learn, the greatest thing we can ever teach anyone is how to hear the voice of the Father. And that's what I want us to do today as we close this this morning. We're going to break bread together as a church. And I want today's breaking bread to be a celebration of the fact that you and I are sons and daughters of the Lord Most High.